0: Welcome into ITP, the podcast. This is our second, second volume of the 2015 season now, breaking down really some of the major stories from week one, or rather week two. Hard to believe that we're already through the second week of the season, Mark. I'm joined by Mark Schofield here. Mark, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you, my friend?
0: Good. It was a uh, good weekend of football. Actually, a great weekend of football, really, with a uh, number of games that I think turned out. Differently than I was expecting, at least. Uh, you know, it wasn't really one that went according to plan. You saw a number of upsets, and it looks like it's going to be a pretty topsy turvy season here.
1: It does look that way. And talking about some of the major storylines out of this weekend, there are some teams that are sitting at zero and two right now that I don't think people probably had at zero and two this point in the season I mean you think about Seattle you think about Baltimore and you think about Indianapolis after what they showed last night there are some teams that are off to some pretty bad starts right now
0: yeah absolutely so we're going to be catching up on all of that over the course of this podcast here but first Mark we've got a new segment that we've been working on here
1: We do. We do have a new segment, and I believe we have a sponsor for it, too, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah, we've actually got, and this is uh, something that I was amazed we were able to pull off. We have NASA sponsoring this segment here, and this is the first annual Harry Stamper All-Go Play of the Week. Am I right, Mark?
1: That is right, and as you said, Chuck, it is brought to us by NASA. NASA, they have people in rooms just thinking stuff up. And so, Mark, what
0: when we look at the big plays from this week, obviously number of different ones, uh, but when, when it all came down to it, there was one play in the Raiders game that stood out to you.
1: Right, and it was the long touchdown pass from Carter, Amari Cooper, the w- rookie wide receiver out of Alabama, and it stood out for one major reason, and that's the route running of Amari Cooper. Um, there were a lot of people that headed into the last draft season, they were you know, kind of fumble in between which receiver would be number one on their boards. And the people that put him are at Cooper, the top of their wide receiver boards. They focused on his route running. He's a very polished route runner. He gives you the entire route tree on day one as a rookie. And he showed it here. in This play from, uh, from Carter Cooper runs a post corner route, Um, Does a great job off the release, off the line of scrimmage, where he gets inside leverage on Jimmy Smith, the cornerback who has him in man coverage. He establishes inside position on his vertical release up the stem. And what he does at the top of that, right before his break is he shows Smith a quick look to the inside as if he's looking for the ball on a post route. Smith is behind him in trail coverage. He's on Cooper's hip. When he sees that head turn, he looks to cut underneath that, and that's when Cooper breaks to the outside on the corner. It's just a beautiful route, and it shows you what he can do as a route runner already as a rookie.
0: Now, when you're talking about a polished route runner, that that term gets thrown around a lot, and I don't know if everyone necessarily knows what it means. Is it something as subtle as that little look to the
1: inside at the top of the... Ra- Is that what we're talking about here? That's definitely part of it. Um The main aspect that we're talking about in terms of Amari Cooper versus, say, a Kevin White or Devontae Parker, White and Parker being two of the other first-round uh, wide receivers that people were looking at as maybe the top receiver in this class, they couldn't run an entire route structure, you know, in routes, slants, posts, corners, whereas Cooper... Does did it all at Alabama. So when he comes into an NFL offense, you don't have to take time to take him through this receiver through the different routes that he would have to run. So not only does he give you that, but then you add in the things like that little head turn, the little nuances that a receiver can show a defensive back to sell a defensive back on one move and then cut to the outside and gain separation.
0: So when you look at this, and obviously Cooper is just a rookie right now. Are we talking about the types of, you know, that little head turn? Is that something that you typically don't see until someone is an established veteran in the league? Is he just ahead of the curve there?
1: I think he's a little bit ahead of the learning curve. I think that's a fair way to put it. And, you know, it comes from muscle memory, learning things through repetition, running those routes in college, both in practice and then on Saturdays and Saturday nights, Gaining some tips and tricks along the way, figuring out what works for you, and then just doing it again and again and again as you transition from college to the NFL. You know, Kevin White, Devontae Parker, they'll get more reps as they go through in their rookie season, and they'll become better at it. But I think for right now, like you said, Cooper is a bit ahead of the curve.
0: How much of uh, the development of Cooper is going to be aided by having Derek Carr? Maybe it's even vice versa. Is Derek Carr going to be helped more than
1: uh, Amari Cooper and having him as a weapon here? I think what's going to be interesting to see is how much Cooper can help Carr. Carr had a pretty solid rookie year, but, you know, Year two in the NFL, there might be a little bit of bumps along the way. But having a weapon like Cooper and some of the other weapons that they have right now, it looks like Carr's going to be able to spread the ball around a bit. He's got some receivers like Cooper that he seems to be on the same page with right now. The game-winning touchdown pass to Seth Roberts was a nice little play that, you know, Carr made a nice little anticipation throw towards the goal line. Again, looked to be on the same page with the. Re- Receiver on that play. So I think what you are seeing signs of is Carr developing a little bit more thanks to the weapons that he has around him and that Oakland has surrounded him with. Absolutely. We're going to take a little segue now
0: from the AFC West and take a look at the NFC South, actually. And we're joined now by Charles McDonald, who is our resident Falcons expert. And Charles, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. How are you guys? Doing well. We're doing well here. I mean, I think uh, certainly Falcons fans seem to uh, probably be pretty happy after the first two weeks a 2-0 start, right?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. It uh, feels like a big
0: change from last year. Uh, only won 10 games in the past two seasons. So they already getting two under the belt. That's pretty good. When you look at, in particular, the last week, you had uh, Matt Ryan going up against a Giants defense that in recent years been pretty strong, especially if, from a pass rush perspective. Uh, always something you have to game plan for. What did you see from Matt Ryan over the uh, the course of the game that really stood out to you?
2: Uh, well, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, the game when the Falcons first came out on offense, uh, the Giants were sending the majority of their uh, the majority of their reps against the pass. They were sending you know five plus blitzers. Uh, Try to get Matt Ryan on the ground, and I thought it was really interesting to see Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan. You know, they employed a lot more three-step drops, uh, screens, uh, slants to try to counteract the blitzes. And then once the Giants got tired of uh, getting up, uh, you know, underneath and uh, with you know with the fighting against the uh, screens and slants, uh, they started dropping more guys back in coverage, especially in the second half, and particularly in the fourth quarter. And uh, to still see Matt Ryan find Julio Jones, who he's crossing the on five- and seven-step drops, I thought he had a really impressive day. Uh, he definitely played better than he did against Philadelphia. And you know, I thought Matt Ryan was the main reason that the Falcons were able to win that game, uh, especially, uh, you know, uh, Eli Manning had a nice game. Uh, so for
0: Matt Ryan to finally win one in the uh, York, which he had
2: before, that was a little good to get that off the back.
0: How much of a change was uh, the offense that the Falcons used in this game? You mentioned they used a number of quicker drops just to negate the Giants' pass rush. Is that something that they've employed a lot? Is that something Ryan has typically done well with, or was this kind of breaking new ground for him?
2: Uh, It's just kind of breaking new ground for him. Like Last year, with offensive coordinator, Derek Cotter, Ryan was taking a lot of seven-step drops. and. Probably a big reason why he was getting killed behind that battle from the line last year, but I uh, this year, uh, if, you know, and offense has a lot of uh, play action and rollouts, but when they're not using the play action rollouts, a lot of you know, quick timing passes. Like you've seen, uh, uh, you see know, like, kind of West Coast philosophy. He's um, not. He's not going to sit back there and wait for these guys to get up in the way deep down the field. He's getting the ball out of his hand quick. it making the offensive line look a lot better, too. So uh, I think that the change in coordinators was good for Matt Ryan, and it's definitely been different for the first two weeks of the
0: season. Absolutely. Now, on the other end of his passes, we would uh, be neglecting to uh, mention really a big piece of the offense if we didn't talk about uh, Julio Jones, who – on pace right now, and the numbers, obviously, it's, it's through two weeks, but he's on pace for 176 receptions, 2,200 yards, 16 TDs. I mean, the guy has been an absolute beast through the first couple weeks. Is this really a receiver now in, I believe this is his is it his fourth or fifth full season starting to come into his prime?
2: Oh, yeah. he He's looked better than I've ever seen him look before. But in the past, he's been a guy that's just kind of relied on his size and athleticism to post these monster stats, but now you've seen him add a little bit more nuance to this game, especially with his this footwork, beating uh, guys off the, uh, off the press, a line of scrimmage. Um, he's the head fake a little bit more often to get open um, so that he to add a little bit more refined technique to this game. Uh, you have these route combinations that Kyle him is using to get them open. He's He's definitely in pace for a career year. It seems right now, through the first two weeks of season, it seems like he's going to be battling battling Antonio Brown for uh, the receiving mantle. But uh, I think Julio Jones—he's—he's—he's on pace to do some really great things. And barring injury, he's going to post some monster stats. So I'm really excited.
0: Oh, he's, he's an absolute beast. I mean, I look at him, I, I figure probably the toughest matchups in the NFL right now, you've got him, Antonio Brown, and Gronkowski. He, he's right up there. He, he seems to be uncoverable at the moment.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, by Maxwell, he got a big dose of it, and then uh, on Sunday, uh, he posted 13 receptions for 135 yards, and it was just inches oh. short of uh, scoring another touchdown. So he's He's having a monster
0: season. It's just going to continue. Absolutely. Now, one last question before we let you go. Going to put you on the spot with this one. Falcons and Panthers tied in first in the NFC South right now. 2-0 each of them. 14 games left. Who comes out on top at the end of the year?
2: Oh, uh, definitely definitely Atlanta. Uh, this defense is much improved from last season. You know, the Falcons, they didn't sign any like huge free agents, but the guys that they have on—Justin Durant, Adrian Claiborne, and Brian Schofield, those guys have made a huge difference on the field, and I, uh, I think, uh, they'll definitely appeal to counteract the lack of weapons from the Panthers' offense right now, and that's going to be the deciding factor when the Falcons end up when the Falcons do end up winning the division.
0: All right, well, Charles, appreciate you coming on, and uh, if anyone wants to uh, follow you on Twitter, it's Mick Draft Two. Is that correct? Yep. Absolutely. Anywhere else that uh, anyone can read any of your writing right now?
2: Uh, I'm at the Falcoholic with SB Nation, and that's it for right now.
0: All right, very good. Well, Charles, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That was Charles McDonald again. You can see him at TheFalcoholic.com as well as on Twitter at McDraft2. Mark, what, what's your take? Did you watch any of, uh, any of uh, those first couple games for the Falcons, any pieces?
1: Yeah, I watched bits and pieces of the, the game from this past week, and I think that um, Charles made a lot of great points. He's definitely somebody that people out there that like football, and especially if you like the draft, you should follow his work, follow him on Twitter. One thing that I was interested, Charles wrote a great piece this summer um, where he was contextualizing the Atlanta defense. Obviously, their new head coach, Dan Quinn, former defensive coordinator for the Atlanta for the excuse me Seattle Seahawks so Charles took a look at how Quinn might try to mold this Atlanta defense into sort of that Seattle type mold and I think you're starting to see a little bit of that play out and how they're scheming coverages trying to get pressure up front Um, so I took a look at that and I think that Atlanta's putting together a pretty good team on both sides of the football and I think Charles kind of hit a lot of the you know, key storylines from Atlanta in his little segment there.
0: Sure, sure. So let's uh let's take a look now. We're also gonna hop around here to uh start looking at a couple of our young quarterbacks that had some pretty big weeks and really a couple of young quarterbacks that some significant questions about for different reasons heading into this season. Let's start with well, who else do you start with, but Johnny Football? I mean, let's let's right. be honest here. What did you see in the first couple weeks of the season from him? Uh, is it something that suggests this is sustainable, or is this a flash in the pan?
1: I think we're seeing signs that what he's doing as a passer are sustainable. I took a long look at the Tennessee game from this past Sunday. You know, he didn't put up gaudy numbers. He, Completed 8 of 15 passes for 172 yards and two long scores. But some things that he's doing in the pocket, showing signs of being comfortable back there, not wanting to bail out of the pocket quickly, that's a good sign for his growth and development as a quarterback. There were a lot of plays where he would either climb the pocket or or if he had to vacate the pocket, he didn't look down at the rush, did a good job of keeping his eyes downfield and using vision, especially in the second touchdown pass, to find Benjamin deep, crossing from the other side of the field. That was a really nice play. He got flushed out to his left. Benjamin was coming across the field from the other side, and he was able to, again, use his eyes, keep his eyes downfield, scan for targets, and find Benjamin down the field.
0: When you look at the next couple weeks, likely we're still seeing conflicting reports as to whether or not Josh McCown is going to be able to play this weekend. Is there a legitimate quarterback controversy that's brewing here in Cleveland, or does McCown get the job back once he's healthy?
1: I think that, that McCown will get the job back because of what we've heard out of Cleveland so far is that it's his job right now. And I think, you know, McCown with the concussion, if he's cleared, I'd expect to see him back. But if he's on the shelf for another week or so, and Johnny Manziel has another game like he did against Tennessee, then you're going to start to get a lot more questions. I mean, the Cleveland fan base, I'm sure they really want to see Johnny come in and – win and keep that starting quarterback, job. I
0: kind of want to see Johnny come in. I mean, it's for better or for worse. Look, you can love the guy, hate the guy, but you can't deny that it's exciting to watch him when he's on the field. As a fan, you just want to see that.
1: Right. And he, you know, he definitely does some great things for them using his athleticism. Another thing I saw on film was he seems to be growing a nice little relationship, not just with Benjamin, but with Hawkins as well, another wide receiver. A couple of times when Johnny was flushed from the pocket in the scrambled Royal. He and Hawkins seem to be right on the same page. Hawkins would do a great job finding some soft spots in the coverage. Johnny was able to get him the football. Um, so there, he brings an extra element of excitement to this offense. And I think, like you said, a lot of fans really want to see that and are excited to see him continue to grow.
0: And I think it's, it's kind of funny because I'm looking at him right now. You forget that the guy's still only 22 years old. It feels like he's been around forever. The guy's 22. It's, right. You know, he's not an old man by any means.
1: Right. And, again, you know, He was, you know, generated a ton of excitement, obviously, when he was at Texas A&M. That big win over Alabama the year he won the Heisman. Um, We've been talking about Johnny Manziel for a long time now, it seems like. And now we're starting to see signs of everything people were hoping he would be start to develop here in his second year in the NFL.
0: Yeah, finally talking about him for the right reasons, too, instead of uh, too much time in Vegas, which, look, it happens to all of us. It It does
1: happen to all of us. But remember, what's the saying? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and that's the way it should have been, right?
0: Well, you, you try to keep it in Vegas, but uh, when you're Johnny, I mean, look, you're bringing Vegas everywhere. I, I mean, you look at Johnny's house, it's, I mean, you can do that, whatever. So let's take a look now, Blake Bortles. Right. Terrible first week, pretty much more of the same that we saw during his rookie year. Bounced back, though, with, I won't say an overly impressive game against Miami, but a big step in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, and I wrote about Blake Baldur's a little bit last year and again at the start of this season. What I've been interested to see, and you know, you kind of hear this a lot, especially in the summer when a quarterback either is coming into the league or he's moved teams and he's had some issues with this in the past. The talk about mechanics, you know, we heard it a lot obviously with Tim Tebow and his awkward windmill throw in motion. And it was the same with Blake Boulders coming out of the University of Central Florida. with bit of a you know not so much a wind up, but how he used that left arm, that lead arm. So that's been something I've been interested to watch because we heard a lot this offseason about always oh, working on refining his mechanics and his throwing motion. And he looks better throwing the football and he's using his arms better in terms of pulling himself through a throw. And looking at what he did against Miami, eighteen of thirty-three for two seventy-three and two scores, you know, got his team in position to win that game. And the throw mechanics, that left arm did look better than they did last year.
0: Yeah, so definitely going to be something to keep an eye on there as well. Um, I know Jacksonville fans are probably, uh, would you say they're on top of the world at this point with, uh, you know, you kind of look at the standings there and you say, look, we're tied for first place. It's been a while since they've seen that.
1: Right. If If anybody out there has been on Twitter in the past 24 hours, especially after Indianapolis losing last night, Jaguars Twitter is kind of giddy right now. And they're, you know, they're enjoying the moment and good for them. They should be excited. The, the team looked really solid in that win. You got a little bit of help down the stretch with a really, Miami, one of two teams last week to commit a really dumb personal foul penalty yep. after a play yep. to put their opponent in position to win. Oliver with the late hit against Jack against Jacksonville. It happened also in the Raiders-Ravens game. There was a, roughing the passer penalty on the final drive that Oakland had that put Oakland in position to win that game too. But I'm, I'm happy for the Jaguars fans. It's a good moment for them. Good day for them.
0: Yeah, they, they need this. It's, it's good for them. So yes. we're going to now move on from the AFC South, turn back to the NFC South. We are now joined by Nath Pizzolatto. Did I pronounce that right, Nath? Uh, Nate, but. Nate, Nate, Nath, a... Nate. It's all Nath the same, all right? The you be, you've been called worse, right? yeah <laughs> exactly, so talk to me a little bit about the saints. We had uh, Charles McDonald on just a little bit earlier talking about the falcons okay. he yeah. was he was you know elated through the roof. I'm guessing you're probably not quite where he is.
3: I mean, um, there's no better way to put it. they stink right now um <laughs> and i just, I'm not laughing at you. I'm I,
0: laughing with I, your no, crying
3: I, I understand i uh it's this end um the biggest problems um to me i mean there's there's some things that are unavoidable they just had so many injuries on defense obviously secondary they're trying to rebuild it and already you know three of the got three or four of the guys they have they were counting on can't play or have gotten hurt um but <clears throat> but i mostly wanted to look at or what's wrong with the offense right now which is there's going to be a lot of talk about breeze and how he might be done but honestly he looked fine to me until he uh, took that hit in the Tampa Bay game, and his really terrible deep balls are both after that. I think the offense has two bigger problems. Um, one is, and I guess it's sort of related to Breeze, in that the team, the management apparently seems to think that uh, Breeze is so good he can just get it done no matter what you throw around him, and we're finding that's not the case. Right now, New Orleans doesn't have a single receiver who can, Either get open or win contested catches. There's just none. Everyone on the team has to either you know they can't win one on one consistently. They have to be schemed to get open. Even Brandon Cooks, who's supposed to be the focal point of the offense, yep. and has hardly hardly been a factor. Well, what
0: about let's also talk I can't do that. Let's let's also talk a little bit. Obviously, one of the big trades in the offseason was uh mm-hmm. moving uh essentially picking up Max Unger at center and moving Jimmy Graham out to Seattle. How has that affected things because I believe if I'm not mistaken, uh number 1 tight end right now is Ben Watson, who's a nice player, but he's right. no Jimmy Graham.
3: Right. Well, it really <clears throat> I mean, this this speaks to the problem not specifically graham but the fact that they didn't even try to fight replace him with anyone even close to his caliber you know graham obviously is such a huge mismatch that he's a guy who could always go through not only in the red zone but you know on critical downs, you know third down long situations you can just split graham out and send him down the seam and throw it above the guy who's covering him now they don't have that you really see it in the red zone um and i didn't hate the trade so much because the center play was so bad last year and because they got a first round pick out it, which is always great and so far Stefan anthony has been fantastic yep but they just they just didn't even bother they didn't even try to replace him and it's really it's really showing you know marcus colson's getting older he's not reliable anymore um like i said cooks isn't cooks is a big play threat, but he's not a guy you can count on you know in the you know whenever you need a difficult first down or a critical first down and so they just don't have that anymore and so I don't think the problem specifically with tight end with losing Graham because Sean Payton has shown he can you know rejigger and reconfigure his offense to highlight whoever's you know good on the team it's just it's more of an overall lack of talent in the crew and there's some okay players there's some fine players just nobody no true number ones nobody good enough to just be a go-to guy when it's absolutely
0: essential. Well, let's let's talk on that rejiggering here just because, I'll admit, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't watch much of the Saints in the preseason. You probably mm-hmm. watched quite a bit more than I did. They, they now have an issue at quarterback where we don't know exactly what is going on with Drew Brees. There's been mm-hmm. conflicting reports as to the severity of the rotator cuff injury. Right. But the potential is out there for either Luke McCown or Garrett Grayson to be getting some extended reps over the next couple weeks did we? That's did you true. see anything productive from them in the preseason that suggests they can mm-hmm. compete at the NFL level?
3: Um. Well, I thought. I mean, I thought they both had fairly encouraging preseasons in the sense that, you know, make, well, in the sense that McCown, McCown looked looked like a capable backup, and Grayson, Grayson looked okay for a guy who probably shouldn't be seeing NFL action anytime soon or live regular season action. Yep. But. uh... <laughs> <clears throat> um, I mean, let's, I mean, I mean, but the truth is like the team is built around, you know, especially the offense are built around breeze being able to elevate everyone else. So without breeze, that equation is totally out of whack. So yeah, in the game, breeze has to miss time. The team is in a lot of trouble. Now the latest this morning is that they're saying it's not too serious. He might even be able to play this week. That would be a relief at the same time. Yeah. If he's hurt for any significant time. It might be time to start thinking about the long term because I don't think because they're not going. I mean, they're already not going anywhere. They're especially not going anywhere if he's hurt.
0: Yeah. And so let's, let's take a look. We got time for one more question, Aaron. Let's talk, let's talk long term this season. Saints are 0 2 right now. They're in a Mm -hmm. division that. You know, it's it's stronger than it's been in recent years, but it still is not a great division by any means. Where do you think they end up finishing when it's all said and done? Can they turn this around totally. to reach the playoffs, or is this a team that finishes with six or seven wins? They
3: well, I think they can turn it around. If they get if they get everyone healthy, there's some good talent there. Getting the secondary healthy will help a lot. Um, CJ Spiller is one of the few bright spots on offense last week, but he's still banged up and on a snap count if they can start getting him in regularly i think they'll run more of the running back screen and running back passes game that they wanted to emphasize in the offense this year but uh and the schedule is weak enough that it's possible especially since a lot of the games on it like cowboys eagles and colts are now looking like teams that a lot of the tougher games looking at teams that have been struggling themselves so between the schedule and the level of talent when the team's healthy it's possible that Honestly, I'm pessimistic. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if <clears throat> excuse me if six, six or seven wins happens again this year. It's just they've they've got it, acquired a few new parts I like, but yep. Now, but now by taking away, you know, real dynamic threats of the offense, they can't move the ball, and and there have been a couple of weak spots in the offensive line too. They were getting eaten up by by a team that has had a terrible pass rush last year and couldn't get to Marcus Mariota last week either. So, so there's, there's a lot of holes there. Um, Andrew's Pete, if he gets ready to play, could take over for Zach Streep. That would help one, but you know, they're starting the guy at guard who was supposed to be the center of the future last year. And then they signed a 36 year old guy because he couldn't hack it. So, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot, sometimes there's a lot of the saints, you know, touting these undrafted free agent guys and then them not working out. Yep. So there are holes. Um, like I said, uh, anyway, back to the point, they could, they could win it. It's a soft division off schedule, but I mean, right now the talent's just
0: not there. All right, well, Nate, appreciate you coming on with us, and uh, hopefully next time hope we fun. chat, uh, Saints will be a little bit higher up in the standings. Here, <laughs> all right. I hope for the same. Thanks. All right, thanks a lot, Nate. Absolutely, no it was Nate Pizzolatto. And uh, again, when you look at this, Mark, I'm going to ask your opinion. Saints don't don't appear to have a ton of talent on offense, unfortunately, and that seems to be a major problem.
1: Right, I, I think he hit that really well, and you know, when you're kind of putting all your eggs in the basket of an older quarterback, these things can happen. Um, I'm almost, you almost start to wonder if you know New Orleans, they had some salary crap problems that they were bumping up into in this off season. Anyway, it might be a time. We might be seeing a kind of a, a tear down and rebuild situation down there.
0: Yep, yep. So definitely something to uh, to worry about. Jumping over now to uh, another quarterback injury. This one potentially having s- some much bigger ramifications in the long term here. Tony Romo and the Cowboys. Romo expected to be out anywhere. I've seen six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks. I've, I even saw one estimate going out to twelve. Right. R- what What does this mean for them?
1: Well, I mean, if you look around the landscape of the NFC East, they could probably stay afloat give, with Brandon Weeden. Given what you have,
0: you think it's the worst division in football?
1: I don't know if it's the worst division. It might be right now. Yeah. Um, obviously, in in Washington, we had the RG three Kirk Cousins storyline. They got you know back to one and one this this weekend with a win over the Rams. Giants are sitting there at zero and two. Doesn't look like they can do too much on either side of the football. Philadelphia. I mean, that's another team when you talk about teams that are at 0 and 2 right now. Looked like a think, train wreck. Ray, they, they just they can't run the ball, they can't throw the ball. I mean, I was looking at their numbers in terms of running the football this game against Dallas this Sunday and abysmal. Two rushing first downs they gained 7 yards on 17 runs for 0.4 yards per carry. Strong. They, just, they can't block guys up front. It just—it just looks like an absolute dumpster fire.
0: Is there anyone in the NFC that can challenge the Packers?
1: I mean, you know, with the caveat that again, it's early. I mean, as we saw last season, the Patriots after Week Four were declared dead and in the water, and
0: yeah, but they were clearly dead. They couldn't do anything.
1: Right. <laughs> but there's exactly right. So, but there's there's time. Um, obviously, the Packers do look like the class of the NFC right now. Um, I think Seattle, you know, they've got, obviously, the Cam Chancellor storyline. They still got to kind of sort out that offensive line. It looked better Sunday night. I think Seattle looks pretty – well, they'll come back, I think. Arizona, I mean, again, that's another team that, you know, probably doesn't get a lot of the coverage that they should. But they look pretty good going into Chicago. Carson Palmer looks to be throwing the ball really well. Larry Fitzgerald. Three touchdowns. Three touchdowns. Looks good getting open. Um, finding space against at least that Bears secondary. Arizona, I wouldn't, you know, don't sleep on the Cardinals right now.
0: Let's uh, turn now, we had highlighted last week the Bills-Pats game as a pretty critical showdown with a lot of folks talking about how the Bills had a chance to make a statement that they were going to compete in the AFC East, even though they lost. Were they able to make any type of conclusive statement there?
1: Uh, I don't. I don't know if I'd say they made a conclusive statement i mean divisional games are always tough i mean i think if you talk to an nfl coach any nfl player they will tell you that divisional games are tough and if you win one of it doesn't matter how you win it you can win ugly it's still a divisional win um some things that i think buffalo can build off of um that offense looks like they've got something in tyrod taylor yep um you know there were there were some things that i looked at and breaking down that film that I still think he can improve on. Accuracy is one. He sailed a number of throws that led to either incompletions, interceptions, or he had one. There was a play late in the first half where another scrambled drill situation. He had a chance to make a play down into the red zone to Sammy Watkins and just missed it, missed the throw, and it led to an interception. Yep. Um, he'll have to get more comfortable in the pocket too. Um, There were a number of sacks that weren't really on the O-line, I think. They were more on him. Instead of climbing the pocket, he would vacate the pocket left or right and, you know, play into the edge rushers a bit. But I think offensively, you know, Buffalo's got some stuff to work with. Defensively, you know, the Patriots did a really good job with tempo and quickness in that game. Yeah, Did a lot of no huddle stuff. And also, if you look at a lot of their passing plays, the snap to release time, I actually – busted out the stopwatch a lot of plays brady was getting the snap and getting the ball out in less than two seconds
0: what's average in the nfl
1: honestly i it's not less than two seconds
0: it's probably you know two and a quarter two and a half somewhere in that range sometimes You're seeing.
1: Even, yeah probably two and a half sometimes three i mean that's just off the cuff response yep but the reason why that was such an interesting thing to look at is you know i wrote about a lot of people wrote last week about Rex Ryan and his defensive schemes and how he could scheme up the blitz to get pressure. And we saw that last week when they beat the Colts. Well, you can draw up any blitz in the world, but if the quarterback has his ball out of his hands in under two seconds, the blitz isn't going to get home.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, that,
1: so that was something that the Patriots did, I think. And it just shows you people talk a lot about. Bill Belichick as a you know genius football coach, and he obviously is. But Josh McDaniels does some good things week to week in terms of a game plan and a scheme to attack and possibly neutralize what a defense does well.
0: Yep, yep. So definitely something we'll watch as the season goes on. Uh, Mark, it looks like we're just about done for the day. I think we're just about out of time.
1: It looks that way. I think we got another nice little show. Everybody should definitely follow uh, Charles McDonald on Twitter. It's at... MC Draft 2 also uh nate from uh you can find him at zone reads um chuck great job hosting as always my friend
0: absolutely and if you do want to catch up on any of our articles you can find them as always at insidethepylon.com follow us on facebook at uh, facebook.com slash inside the pylon and on twitter at it pylon mark until next week i will catch you later
1: be well my friend
0: all right